This is Dystopia and Catastrophe. Welcome back to it. I am Roman. If you have any uh, thoughts about this episode or previous episode of this here podcast, do leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That's where I check for the reviews. Or you can go over to Patreon, Podcasts with Roman, to get bonus content, etc., etc., and also send messages, comments, and stuff like that through Patreon. We are going to be covering Chapter 9 in this episode. We're getting close to the end of the story. We are getting very close to the end, actually, but this chapter is is a... It's a heck of a chapter, really. We jump from day number 35 after the incident to day 63. And the the story starts off very disturbing in this chapter. We got a confrontation in in the house of John Matherson. And it's a story that has happened in real life. I mean, this kind of thing does happen. It's very disturbing whenever it does in the United States or anywhere else around the world for that matter. And they were, uh, they were dispatched fairly expeditiously by Mr. Matherson, and he killed him with a gun, of course. Shout out to that Second Amendment, because that's how you handle this kind of situation when uh, somebody's in there getting ready to kill your family. Somebody might say, Roman, they weren't there to kill the family, they were just there to rob the place. Well, you know, they, they talk about this story right at the beginning of the chapter of another house that had been broken into previously, and the whole family was murdered. And again, that kind of stuff does happen in the United States of America today. Even without the EMP, even without the attack on the United States, this kind of stuff happens. People don't like to think about it. You know, it's not convenient. Whenever, uh, whenever somebody comes up and decides, hey, let's abolish that Second Amendment, it's not convenient to tell the stories about the families that get slaughtered by people like these two animals that broke into this house, which is kind of an interesting story. You know, it's interesting how we saw this in an earlier chapter where people had broken into the hospital in town, the nursing home, I guess, such as it is, and they were caught later on, and they were basically found guilty, more or less, and they were executed. Now, would that have happened in normal times? No, it wouldn't have happened like that. Why did it happen in these difficult times, in this book, in this scenario? And the answer is because everything is so much more scarce. Everything is so much more on the edge. People are all so much closer to death in any given day, in any given minute. Things are very serious. You steal something like that, you break into a hospital and take things that's going to get people killed, which is exactly what happened in that previous chapter. And there's, uh, there's this natural tendency in society to string them up or to shoot them, firing squad. Now, here's a question for you. Why don't we do that same thing in the good times as well? Now, I'm not saying we execute them quite like they did here. There probably should be a trial with a jury and all the rest of it. And honestly, there should have been in the story, too. And they should be formally found guilty and all the rest of it. But why don't we take things this seriously in normal times? Don't you think that would be a, a deterrent against doing this kind of thing? I think so. And like in the case of what was mentioned in this chapter here, chapter 9, about that whole family being murdered for no other reason than a bunch of thugs breaking into a house to steal some scraps, whatever scraps they have left, because they're not there to steal television sets, folks. They're not there to steal computers and laptops and iPhones. They're there to steal scraps, and they massacred a whole family to do it. And what do you do with animals like that in society? And yes, they are animals, and they they decided to be animals. They decided to behave that way. When people become animals like that, it's a decision they make. It's not my fault. It's their fault. They decided to do it. They didn't have to go into that house, that, that house and exterminate a whole family just to steal scraps, but they did, like animals would do. That's what a bear does. That's what a, that's what a wolf does. That's what a dog does. Human beings don't behave that way. But honestly, there really isn't much you can do with people like that in society, especially in a situation like we have in this book. So 
John does what he has to to protect his family. He kills the intruders. And previously, those people who broke into the nursing home, executed. Not a lot of soft-on-crime policies going on in this society, right? And one wonders, maybe society should be a little more harsh like that during normal times as well. Just a thought. It's something to think about. It might discourage that kind of behavior instead of encouraging it, which is what soft-on-crime policies do. And it's because it's a lot easier in normal times like what we have today to just write off things like property being stolen. Just write it off. Oh, it's just property. But as I've described before, it's never just property. Property is a representation of people's hard work. It's never, quote-unquote, just property. People like to say stupid crap like that, but when, when the EMP strikes and all of a sudden you can't get any more property, whatever you have is what you have, and it's almost impossible to get anything else. All of a sudden, it's not, quote-unquote, just property anymore, is it? It's a little bit more than that. But the, the dirty little secret is that it always was. It was always more than just property. Now, when somebody steals property, they're attacking the people who worked for it. It's a kind of violence. But at least in this story here in Chapter 9, there are two less people running around in houses massacring whole families, thanks to uh, John Matherson. He took care of the problem. And that's a good thing. You don't wish that kind of thing to happen. I mean, you didn't ask, he didn't ask those people to invade his house. They just kind of did it, and once they did it, that set the stage for what was going to happen next. It's their fault. They, they were the ones that were asking for it. But it's a very disturbing part of the story in Chapter 9. And at some point in this chapter, our protagonist, John Matherson, talks about reality avoidance and how nobody did anything about this EMP threat before it happened. Nobody, well, I can't say nobody, some people did. Obviously, in the real world here, outside of the book One Second After, we have Mr. William Fortune writing a book about it, and other people writing about it, talking about it, EMP commissions, people trying to sound the alarm, but the powers that be don't do anything about it. I mean, they're cashing checks and buying mansions, they're engaging in corruption schemes, they're going on vacation, they're playing golf, screwing around, playing tiddlywinks. They'll fly over to China and slide their face in between Xi Jinping's butt cheeks when they're bored. But are they doing anything about this? Not really. And Mr. Matherson in the book is rather upset about that, and he calls it reality avoidance, and that's true. Honestly, that's symptomatic of America. America does that all the time. And that doesn't make it okay, and that doesn't mean we should ignore it. But America has become a Disney World fantasy land existence. For most people, not everybody, but for most people. And something's got to be done about that, and we've got to understand these problems, which is why I'm talking about it. Some people might wonder, why in the heck, in season one of this podcast, are you talking about this rando book one second after? Because it's a problem. It's a real-world problem, and it has real-world solutions. The problem is most people aren't paying attention to it. So to avoid the catastrophe, I mean, why talk about catastrophes that have happened in season one of this podcast? Catastrophes we can't do anything about. Why not talk about a catastrophe that hasn't happened yet, that could happen tomorrow, that we might be able to maybe not prevent but mitigate the effect and save God knows how many millions of lives, potentially? Why not talk about that catastrophe? Why not be focused on solutions instead of complaining about crap that happened in the past? Ta-da! Season one of this podcast, Dystopian Catastrophe. Here we are, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to it! And thanks to folks like Mr. William Fortune, we have a, a good scenario to follow along so that we can understand how bad the situation might be. On that note, the bodies are piling up in Chapter 9. They have turned a golf course into a graveyard, of all things, so not a lot of playing golf here in this, uh, in this scenario. There's a lot of playing golf in the real world today. 
But if this scenario kicks off, probably not a lot of playing golf. And so they did with the golf course the only thing that they could reasonably do with it, which is turn it into a graveyard. Because, and it's very appropriate for this scenario. Because fun has been replaced with misery and death. And they mention in this chapter, I believe, 1,500 graves so far in the golf course. Keep in mind, 10,500 people in the whole town. They're dropping like flies. And this is, I mean, for crying out loud, this is day 63, and we got 1,500 graves in that graveyard. Fresh graves. We hear about some progress. The distant general government is operating off of an aircraft carrier off the coast, which is typical. They get the best seat in the house. They get the most comfortable seat in the house. In other words, the people who didn't do anything to stop the problem are the ones who are going to be sitting fat and sassy on an aircraft carrier while John Matherson's house is getting invaded and his children are nearly killed. Mm Boy, isn't that something? And there is a reference to the bunkers that some people might be hiding in. Some uh, former officials or current officials of the general government, state government perhaps, hiding in a bunker somewhere. We'll get more news on that later. Communications continue to be improved. There's trying to get some of these old phone lines up and running, which is so very important. I mean, in a situation like this, one of the best things you can do is try to reestablish communication with reasonable people. Unfortunately, the reasonable people are hard to find in a situation like this. you got Little Lord Fauntleroy over there in Asheville. Allegedly, there's a phone line being set up to Little Lord Fauntleroy. I don't know what good that's going to serve because, again, the big cities in this scenario, they never have solutions. All they have is problems to give to the smaller towns and the rest of the uh, the locality. Imagine that. The big cities can't offer solutions. All they can do is offer problems. Shocking. Uh, they're getting the militia up and running continually. We talked about that in a previous episode. The militia, so very important in this situation. You know, I mean, it's we've gotten away from that whole militia concept in this country because, again, we, we've gotten too comfortable. Comfort just rules the day in the United States of America. And in this scenario, you find out real fast just how necessary that militia that the Founding Fathers relied on so heavily, just how valuable and important that really is. And then all of a sudden, it starts to click. That speed, that, that line in the Second Amendment, a well-regulated militia being the necessity of a free state. Aha! I finally know what that means. No kidding. Thank you, Hoss. I'm glad we finally realized how important that is. There is some talk, again, of the supply lines. The, uh, the problem that America engaged in. I talked a lot about this previously. I won't dwell on it too much again here in Chapter 9. First, uh, you know, the uh, just-in-time inventory management, but they make a reference to it in this chapter as well. Far-flung supply lines and so on and so forth. Whose fault is that, by the way? Every greedy, corrupt, lunatic business person who wanted to save a buck. Anybody ever watch the TV show Shark Tank? I don't watch it very often. The only time I watch it is when I'm on a business trip and I'm sitting in a hotel and... There's nothing else on television, and even now, I refuse to watch it. I mean, I, I eventually, I just gave up on that, because I absolutely despise those people. Not the people who are inventing things and going on the show, but the panel of people that sit up there. I, I absolutely despise them, and what really sealed the deal for me with those absolute degenerate lunatics is there was a guy who showed up once upon a time, and he had an invention he wanted to build, and he wanted to have it built in America, made in the USA, and they gave him nothing but crap for wanting to do that. Best as I recall. Allegedly, in my opinion. They gave him nothing but crap for doing that. For wanting to do that. They wanted him to fly it over to China. I mean, they they make frequent references to that on Shark Tank, if you actually listen. You know, like, how much does it cost, quote-unquote, landed? In other words, sent by plane or ship. 
Those are the people that sent all the manufacturing overseas so they could save a buck. Oh, and give away intellectual property and let the Chinese steal it and appropriate it and sell it in their local markets and all the rest of it. So if you want to know where, where all the manufacturing and why John Matherson is complaining about the supply lines and everything being, you know, kind of torn down and the supply lines, you know, flung across the world and all the rest of it, that's why. And I marvel at that for another reason, too, actually. It's, it's quite curious. I mean, you know, you can tell when people are lying. When you just look at their actions and these things don't, they, they contradict themselves. On the one hand, you, people, you have people complaining about being, in, you know, we're not environmentally friendly enough as a country. The world is not environmentally friendly enough. Yet they'll ship production lines clear across the largest ocean on the planet, the Pacific Ocean. Instead of sending it to like Mexico or keeping it in the United States, for example, they'll ship the production lines literally clear onto the other side of the planet in China, manufacture it there, and then put it onto a diesel-powered shipping vessel and ship it clear back across the ocean. And I'm thinking to myself, how in the world is that environmentally friendly? I don't get it. Am I missing something here? No, I'm not missing anything. You're not missing anything either. This is what we like to call a lie. It's just one big lie. But while they're doing that, you have to pay God knows how much for a gallon of gasoline. Makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? And in other news in this chapter, we are getting closer and closer to it. The, uh, there is a great nightmare coming down the road. The posse comes from out of the wilderness, actually probably from out of the big cities, because once again, the cities don't provide, the big cities anyway, don't provide solutions, they provide problems. One of those problems is the posse. The posse is basically this roving gang, like something out of Mad Max Thunderdome, driving down the road, killing anything in their path, and frankly, killing and eating anything in their path, including human beings. And they talk about it in this chapter, and apparently the posse is on the way straight to our little town here. And the hills and the hollers of North Carolina, they're coming down to start a weenie roast. And there is some talk that there might be spies in the town already that have infiltrated it from the posse. There's something to be weary of. People wander into town from out of the periphery. They could just, they could just appear from out of the woods. You know, just skip the, uh, the blockade down on the highway. Skip the roadblocks and just kind of filter in through the woods and into the town and just kind of observe what's going on send intelligence back to the, the animal posse that's coming down the road. And remember that the next time you got a bunch of folks out there who say, well, you know, we need to take all these guns away from Americans so that we, they can feel safe. We need to create a safe little utopia here in the United States, and we got to take away all the guns. How in the world does this little town in this book, how in the world is this little town going to defend itself from that giant gang of animals coming down the road? Answer, guns, just like the militia used to back in the day, right? Founding Fathers style, when the British military marched out of Boston and went out to attack Lexington and Concord, how did they defend Lexington and Concord? Guns. Because that's what you do when a posse is coming down the road to kill you and your family. Shocking. You don't have to be Archimedes to be able to do the math on that one, but apparently there's people too dumb and too stupid to uh, actually figure that one out. I don't know how, but the posse is coming, and the cavalry is not. Remember what I said earlier? Sometimes the cavalry just ain't gonna come. And this is one of those moments in chapter 9. The enemy is coming. The cavalry is not. So this town's going to have to defend itself. And keep in mind, folks, this is just 60 days into this scenario. 60 days. And this is, you know, some people might say this is unrealistic, but I, I don't think so. Every step along the way, William Fortune is painting a very clear series of steps that are very logical, very practical, real world could happen in a scenario like this. 
I don't think, like when the EMP happens, I don't think people like the posse and little Lord Fauntleroy out there in Asheville are all going to be singing Kumbaya, buy the world a Coke and learn to sing in perfect harmony. I think it's probably going to unfold exactly like Mr. Fortune describes it. Pretty doggone close. And the battle is coming. And, you know, it's going to be one heck of a battle, folks. And clearly there's, Mr. Fortune is setting up the stage for this posse and this confrontation with uh, Colonel Matherson. Sergeant Washington, that great leadership that they have in the town, and the militia. So it's on one side we got Colonel Matherson, Sergeant Washington, the militia. On the other side we got the animal posse. And the thing is, the the animal posse is going to run into a little bit of a problem. I mean, if they, uh, a little foreshadowing here. If the animal posse thought they knew how to start a weenie roast, uh, Colonel Matherson, he's going to start a bigger weenie roast, and he's going to show them how it's done. And thank goodness for that. So ladies and gentlemen, on the next episode of this here podcast... We are going to talk about the Battle of Black Mountain. It's a dark day in this book, in this scenario. But it's, uh, it's another reason to take this kind of stuff seriously. We have to maintain our institutions, ladies and gentlemen. The institutions that have served us well for 250 years. We have to do the right things to protect our country. And we have to maintain our, our institutions like the militia, like what we're talking about here in this scenario. So this is, uh, this is very real kind of stuff. This can't happen. And like I said, in the example of Lexington and Concord, it did happen. Disasters can happen. Catastrophe can happen. Dystopia can happen. It's our job to prevent that from happening and maintain the civil society, maintain law and order, maintain our institutions such as they are, except obviously in a much better form than they're currently in. There's been a lot of rot over the years, and we got to get back to a more practical way of doing things, more logical, less less corruption, less emotion, all that crap. That way we can prevent these kind of scenarios, hopefully prevent this kind of a scenario from actually unfolding. So I want to thank you for uh, joining me on this episode of Dystopia and Catastrophe. Again, leave a review on Apple Podcast if so inclined. Also, go over to Patreon, Podcasts with Roman, link in the show notes, and uh, join the the, uh, material that I have over there, if you so choose, bonus material, so on and so forth. But until uh, next time, this is Roman signing off. Thank you.